This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. So as you know, um, as we go into, into the Advent season, um, one thing that, that I mentioned earlier about us, me and my family celebrating uh, Christmas and but, but, but it wasn't because we was Christians. It was because everybody else was doing it and stuff. And that was just, you don't want to go back to school after Christmas and you don't have a pair of sneakers or a shirt or something. Um, but then when I became a believer, it became about Jesus, right? right. And, 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 and the celebration of Jesus and, and, and the giving tied into that. And we didn't start celebrating Advent until, until recently, within the last, like, seven years or so, where we started celebrating Advent, even learned about what Advent was and one of the things that I love about this time where it's not just about this one day, but we're taking this, this, this whole month is um, this massive intentionality inside of everything. There's massive intentionality, um, symbolism, things in, in, in everything. See, Advent um, is like we heard, if you wasn't here when, when Pastor John was talking earlier, you missed some really, really good and important things. But Advent is about um, it means coming, yeah. right? The coming of coming, and the and 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 we put ourselves in the story with the children of Israel as they would hear about this gift that God would give to them and this King Messiah who would one day be coming, right? And they are 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 actively waiting for him. And there was these expressions of of their faith as they 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 waited for him. So they had this posture of heart that that shaped how. This expression of faith waited on the coming of this gift in the Messiah, this king that will come. And during Advent, we sort of sink our hearts up inside that narrative, inside the story, as we um, think about their waiting. And we sink our hearts up with this, this waiting for, for him to come. And in the midst of sinking our hearts up, we are reminded of the reality that we're also there too. We're, we're waiting for him to return. So it, it reminds us, because sometimes you can forget that we're supposed to be in waiting, expecting, and looking forward to, right? So while we're doing this, what ends up happening is when we're opening up the, the, the gifts, is we're, we're thinking about um, how they must have felt when they, when they realized he's finally here. He's finally here. And we start thinking about how we'll feel when we realize he's finally here, right? Come, Lord Jesus, come. And we're, uh, we're waiting and we're expecting. And, and there's so much intentionality. There's more intentionality behind everything that you're seeing up here, right? That's why we take the time to, to put up the trees and, 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 the, and the, the stars and, and to sit down because there's deep intentionality behind everything that's, that's there. We want to encourage you to slow down and, and, and take in the meaning of, of the things behind everything, yeah. right? Even like we have the rug over here. When Pastor um, John was, was teaching, when we was closing out Exodus, he talked about how this, this rug, it's, it represents fur and how the, the tabernacle was covered with fur that represented the sacrifices, right? Yeah. And then even every single time that we do it, we, we light a candle, yeah. right? We light a candle, and these candles, they represent hope. Love, joy, 
and peace. Each week, we, we light a candle representing a, a different one. So even as Pastor Aaron, he lights the next one. Last week, we, we lit hope. This week, it represents love. Even as he lights that, I want to remind us of our posture of heart during this time. You see, as the people of God was waiting, there was things that God weaved into the everydays of their lives that was centered around generosity. He wrote it into the law, being, just being generous, right? So during this time, that's why part of our sinking up is living sacrificially and generously through things like Advent giving and some of the stuff that you heard. So you understand there's deep intentionality behind everything that we're doing, and we're doing this as a family. That's why we named this a family Christmas. And we're taking the time to think about how God has revealed himself to, to this family, and what does it look like to live into that revelation of Christ to us as a family. That's and that, that, that's the key that we talked about last week. If you weren't here, I want to at least give you that key, that the sense of family grows out of the soil of revelation. You do not become a family by just figuring everything out. What is the keys to being a family? It's more organic than that, church. It's seed work that gets planted and roots grow. And then this healthy tree comes about. And last week we talked about this revelation that must be received. The thing about revelation that we talked about last week is revelation is, I, I'll distinguish it even though it shouldn't be distinguished. I distinguish it from like our idea of what theology is. When we think of theology, we think, well, I need to study it. I need to make something. I need to read a lot of books. I need to make something happen. Nothing against reading, nothing against studying. But we think we approach theology with this real heady approach. And matter of fact, many of us think of theology of just words on a page. Or kind of arguments around semantics, like people are just arguing about unimportant things. And if we're honest, we, we think, well, I just don't have time to be greatly theological. Now, I think what ends up happening is, as the church, we try to simplify things like revelation by calling them theology because it's easier to become theological than it is to wait on the Lord and just kind of trust that he's going to reveal himself. Now, I'm, that doesn't mean he can't reveal himself through reading. We need to read. Please read. But hear me on this. What we speak of when we're talking about revelation, you can't take credit for. Many people can take credit for how deep they are theologically. They boast in it. Revelation, when you see Paul, when you see the apostles, when you see people of God who really know that God has opened their eyes, they tell, I was blind. And now I see. Theology didn't open my eyes. God opened my eyes. He opened my eyes to the beauty of himself. And this is not semantics because when we talk about something like Trinity, you can immediately put it into the category of theology. I want it to rightfully remain in the category of revelation. Even theology talks about Trinity as a mystery. 
If you read theological papers when it talks about the Trinity, and we talked about this last week, you must receive a deepening revelation of this what the Trinity is, and then also Christ in us, which we'll talk about today. But I want you to see why this Trinity relationship is so important because inside of the Trinity, we can put it in the theological category, but even in theology, when you read confessions and doctrinal papers, they will all almost say something like this. Orthodox Trinity teaching will say things like, this is a mystery of the most holy Trinity that is central to the mystery of Christian faith. Basically, this idea of it's a, it's a mystery, you can't explain it, it's not something, but theology is trying to articulate the unexplainable. It's hard to explain the unexplainable. But here's what we can end up doing. We can look at things like the Trinity because we have not asked the Lord to open our eyes to the mysteries of these things. And what we can do is, I don't understand it. It's all semantics. Who cares about it? I just serve Jesus. Therefore, ripping Jesus out of the Trinity. Who cares about the Father and the Spirit? I just serve Jesus. As long as you serve Jesus, who cares? And unintentionally, you're moving into heresy. Jesus can't be ripped out of his relationship with the Father and Spirit. They're one. Now, here's the things you have to understand. If, if you're going to pray that these things will be revealed, these things are going to become mysterious in the sense of they sound contradictory to each other. So here's the three things that orthodox, Trinitarian, theological perspectives or revelation will show. One is this. Each person in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, is distinct, or they're unique. Two is they're all equal, or, if you will, mutual in their submission to one another. And they are all united. Now, here's what ends up happening. If, you, if you've never studied this, I'm not doing a teaching on the Trinity. I'm just saying bigger than this room for centuries the trinity has been debated and argued over but the orthodox christian churches the churches that have held true to the central revelation of the of this have talked about these heresies and they've labeled them different things like modalism is removing one of the distinctions and saying there's nothing distinct about each one of them they're all just one and there's no distinction it's different modes of the same person that's modalism we have kind of adopted it to try to make it elementary and remove the mystery and kind of go like, it's like an egg or it's like water or it's like we, we move into modalism. Or we go into Arianism, which is this idea that it removes its equality, that one is higher than the other. The Father is here, the Son is here, the Spirit's here, and it's like this org chart and you put differing values on different places of the Trinity. Or then there's tritheism, which totally takes away their oneness and makes them three gods. 
The church has fought for this revelation for years, and I'm not going to sit up here and teach you on it or fight for it because I believe God has to open our eyes to it. What I want to talk to you about today is why this revelation is so important is because if you do not have a revelation of the Trinity, your relationships will start moving into relational heresy. You will start doing this very thing in your relationships. Now, hear me on this. I think we are so aware of doctrinal heresies. We should. We need to protect these doctrines. We're so aware of doctrinal heresies that we walk around and argue over doctrines and overlook the heresies in our relationships. Why? Because we all know the mystery of being in a relationship. It is so much easier to get a doctrine than it is to get a relationship. Y'all didn't say amen to that. That's all good. You're distracted by my fly kicks today. Thank you. But I want you to hear this. Today, as we're going into this conversation, we're saying the reason why revelation is so important is because things grow out of it, and what grows out of that is going to reflect the root system that's there and the things that are deeply involved. And we want to, as a church, not only be orthodox in our right. teaching but yeah. we, and not heretical in the way we teach, but we want our relationships to grow deeply out of the soil. And today we're going to talk about the importance yes. of the kinds of relationships that flow out of that soil. Right, right. So as we th even think about, again, because this whole thing about God revealing himself to us, that's what this, and, and what does it look like to live into that revelation? So, so one of the things we want to look at is at healthy relationships. We want to look at is um, this distinct, unique existence. That's what Pastor Aaron was talking about just a few minutes ago. And, and God has revealed himself as distinctly unique, yeah. right? And, and, and so you, you start thinking about how he created us inside of his image, inside of his likeness, and in creating us inside his image and likeness, in his holy mind, in his perfect mind, he felt the best way to do that was to make many different kinds of people. That that's the best way. Many different kinds of people, different um, races, different genders, shapes, sizes, experiences, and then turn around and say, you look at the whole to try to get a glimpse of my image and likeness. This is, this is how God has revealed himself um, um, in creation and through creation as he creates us inside of his image yeah. and creates us inside of his, his likeness. He, he makes us distinct very, very intentionally saying, I sort of look like all of that. And every time we try to skinny it down, we, we, we mess up and we start, start creating this, this heretical thing. So just lingering on this relational heresy because as a church, we, we want to try to live into these things. And we do a lot of bad things trying to do good things, right? We do a lot of bad things like, like adopt sort of thoughts like, oh, it's just a big melting pot. So guess what? Guess what when, when, when we start thinking like that, it's just church, we just... Everything that, dis that is distinct that God felt was intentional melts away. Well, that's not what God wanted. If that's the case, he could have just made everything the same. That's another thing that we end up doing and stuff. Let's all be the same, right? And stuff. And then you know, don't treat nobody different. And don't do this. Don't do that and stuff. But, but if that was the case, then he would have made them all the same. 
God revealing himself through his intentionality of how he creates things. Because he's beautiful, he's good, because he's perfect. Or, or, or what about this one? I'm colorblind. I'm just colorblind. I don't see the colors that God thought was intentional to place there as he would reveal himself throughout creation. Good-hearted, but it misses what God is trying to do. God is trying to show depth to who he is by creating us inside of his image and inside of his, 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 his likeness. And, and, let me, and so even as I think about this personally, right, even as, as a pastor personally, and I think about this, what I learn even more so, the distinctness that God has created me in is something that he wants me to steward, it's not about how to just cause it to die off, but how to steward it. God made you this way. How do you steward this for his beauty, for his glorification, his exaltation, as he draws and brings everything all together and says all these distinct parts function together as one in a beautiful, That's beautiful incredible. way. There's one thing that God says that was not good in creation, and that was for man to be alone. There's also one thing that is the very first of the commandments. Don't create an image that you think can reflect me by. So there's no image that can reflect me. You can't carve an image that will make us see God in its aloneness. And here's what we end up doing. And I hope that you see what, what Pastor Wayne was talking about because the reality is we live in a world that unintentionally is fighting for sameness. Because what we call it is something that the kingdom doesn't even call it. See, our world, and I want you to see the distinction, because the kingdom of the world is not like the kingdoms of the, it's not like the kingdom of God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Jesus was constantly trying to teach them about the kingdom and saying, it's not like this, it's not like this. It's not like the kings of this world. It's not like the way they operate in the world. The kingdoms of this world are not like, so we're caught in a world that is fighting for equality. Because of all the inequities, because of all the pains. But here, the kingdoms of this world, it says, their gods are their money. Okay? So when money is God, here's what ends up happening. You don't feel equal unless you get the same money. Now, that's cool for this world, but I'm, we're not talking about the kingdoms of this world. Go get your money. Well, fine. I don't, I, I, that's not what we're trying to get. This reality is not about us trying. If, God is, if, if our God is our money, then the way we're going to know our value is if we have equal money. If God is power and position, then the way we're going to know our value is based upon our position and our titles. So we want equal titles and equal position. Because that's God. But when we serve the king of kings, the one who created everything, Amen. his kingdom, we don't fight for equality. Amen. We are equal. Come on. Come on. Come on. We're created equal. Image bearers of God, created in equality. We don't fight for what we already have in him. That's not our fight. Our wrestle is not the wrestle of this world. Because when we, as the people of God, fight for this, what we're declaring is we don't have this equal 
image bearer. We together are equal bear, image bearer God. You are unique, but you are also a part of a group in which displays the beauty of the one we've been created in together. And this equality, this equalness means this. There is not one part, no matter how small or matter how the world seems insignificant, in the body language, we speak of parts not by their value, but that we need them for us to even exist. Every part has equal value. Every part needs to play its role and what it is that God has designed it to be and will not know its value separated from the body. And church, I want you to hear this because if we're going to function in this kind of thing, here's what equal image bearing does. It fights the things that we really should be fighting. It fights oppression. Here's what there is no room in the body of Christ for. There is no room for those who think they're stronger to place themselves at a higher value and oppress those who think they, that they think are weaker. What this does is leaves no room for any kind of oppression, any kind of chauvinism, any kind of these kinds of realities that would put us in places where we would see ourselves as more valuable than someone else based upon the color of skin. No kind of racism can exist in this kingdom. I get no amens this morning. It can't exist. There's no place for it in this reality when we are all equal and fitly joined together. But you know what else it does? It heals those who struggle with insecurity. Because there are many of you who have, been, who have rightfully faced kinds of oppression, but it also has put you in a place where you're actually not just being oppressed, you believe you're less. You need to be healed. And the only way you will know what true healing is if you don't fight for equality, but you begin to believe and walk in and understand who you are in him. If somebody says they're above you and better than you, that's not a lie you're going to believe. Insecurity has no place. It is healed in the kingdom of God. So you are both fighting oppression and you are healing insecurity in the kingdom because of this truth. No matter how weak, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant the world may see it, every part of the body in its distinctness is necessary. Otherwise, you'll, you'll end up with bodies of all noses and eyes, all arms, all these times, that sameness. The way we're going to reflect God is not by us being the same, but by unique and equally valuable and living as one new man. Because here's what happens. Pride cannot exist in this system. Pride destroys the kingdoms. The king, it, it, it eats away at the kingdom of God because the only thing that allows the fuel for the kingdom of God is humility. And it's crazy because 
even in, in, in all this brokenness that you mentioned just now, so, so it's, it's, it's there, it's natural on the inside to want to, to, wanna, to kick against and fight against it. And, and then what culture comes and says, here's how you fight against the brokenness with more pride. And, you, and, and now the pride of sin is, is, is being exalted as the tool to be used to fight against this brokenness that has caused massive separation. But that's never worked. Like, like, you go back to the story of creation inside of the garden. Pride is lifted up. And because pride is lifted up, separation happens in the garden. Adam and Eve are separated from God. Well, then you fast forward and you go to the story of Babel. All right, at least they're all united together. But they're united together in their pride against God. And then what does God does? He judges and out of judgment, separation again. But what we try to do is we try to enter back into pride and the systems of this world keep saying, your pride is the way you muscle through and you you force your way back in as opposed to submitting to the one that created everything. So we're talking about submitting into a revelation of God. Like he, the creator of all existence, we don't got to fight for it. He did it, right? And we submit into it, right? That's why equality is a mutual submission. It's submitting into what is already there, not trying to make and build it, right? Because then when you start trying to make and build it, you end up making and building your own kingdom. And it's not what you're making. It's not not God. It doesn't look like him, smell like him, and reflect him. It doesn't feel like him, but it it feels like some other thing. But we can can be satisfied because we see a bunch of sameness and, and, and we take that for equality. And it's not. It's not what God has created. He calls us to submit into him what he's revealed. Church, I hope you hear that sin and pride are so devastating, but the gospel of Christ, this is good news. The gospel is good news. Here's the good news. Our pride has separated us from the one who, where we only found who we were uniquely and we only found our value in him. And because of our pride, we went looking other places to find who we are and our value and we're still searching and we cannot figure it out. You are uniquely created. I'm telling you, in all the wars of our culture, do not let... Do not let the wars of our culture strip strip us of our uniqueness. Hear me on this. Women, do not be stripped of the fact that you are a woman. Men, do not be stripped of the fact that you are a man. man. The gospel doesn't make you less of a woman and less of a man. It makes you more of a woman and more of a man. And it makes you more uniquely who you are, more distinct what God has called you to be. It It is the way in which we live in that, that we start to see this is who God has made me to be. When you look at the color of your sin, the gospel doesn't say it makes you less black or less white or less brown. It makes you more. So any heresy that tries to tell you when you come into the kingdom, we lose the color of our skin and we lose our culture and we lose our ethnicity and we lose our background, that's a heresy. They're trying to strip you of your distinctiveness. But hear me, church. Hear me. 
The gospel declares not only that you get to know who you really are as a man and a woman and as your culture. It doesn't allow you to just know who you are distinctively in the gospel, but it also shows you that just because the culture doesn't value it doesn't mean the kingdom doesn't value it. you got to know who you are in Christ to understand your value. And what Christ has done, hear me this, because of sin, we're all separated. Christ came, did the work, and the gospel is this. In Christ, all things that have been separated are now back to being one. That's Ephesians, church. Read, read, read the Bible. Get some theology, right? That, that, that is Ephesians. Read it. Meditate on it. Ask God to reveal it to you. He said, the whole world has been broken because of sin, but the cosmos is being made one. Now in Christ, the whole world is coming together. And then he looks and he says, now you, you, Abel, you are not only an outsider. The same way God is one, he's one with you. If that doesn't blow your mind, you haven't received a revelation. If you are not blown away that the same eternal covenant that's eternal in the Trinity, you are now a part of, we should be laying on the floor. God is in you. Christ is in you, and you are in him. There is nothing that can separate you. Nothing that can separate you from the love of God. You did not bring yourself into it. You can't get yourself out of it. Church, I told you I wasn't going to stand up, but you can't keep me down. My, my Lord, how in the world can you receive a revelation of the Trinity and not be blown away that that same eternal covenant you're now in, but if you have that revelation and you think you've got this revelation so deep inside of you and all of your relationships around you are broken, maybe the revelation is not as deep as you think it is. You cannot know that you have been forgiven and not forgive someone else. You can't. You can't know you were an enemy of God and not forgive your enemies. You want to know what's beautiful about a room like this? It's not just the fact that we get together and worship. It's not that we just all come from different backgrounds and, and different genders and different socioeconomic classes that is beautiful but 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 here's the 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 what behind the the things you see with your eyes we should be enemies but we love each other politically we're enemies economically we're enemies racially we're enemies Gender, we're enemies. But there's a genuine love that is this. Hear me on this. It's a mystery. Don't try to explain it. Let it remain what it is. Only the Spirit can do this. You can't do this. If you try to take credit for this, if we try to put our hands on it, we're stepping on holy ground. But I will tell you this. If you walk into a room where a church is filled with all of the same kind of people, I don't just go, man, that's sad. I just go, they need a deeper revelation. 
Because I will tell you this, to walk in this kind of rooted revelation, you all know to live in a community like this is hard. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. It's hard. And there comes with it some pastoral implications that Wayne and I wanted to press into for a I moment. I mean, even if we lingered there just, just, just for a second, because the reality of it, like you just said, it's hard. It's one of the things that's beautiful about this room and one of the things that's hardest about this room. Because cause if you've been inside of here and stuff, then you also have experienced the uncomfortableness of this, right? Oh. You've been there, and there's these moments of uncomfortability to walk through some things, and it's sort of hard. And one of the biggest things to walk through some of these uncomfortabilities is how diverse the room is. And you start wondering, how can this work? How can this whole thing be held together? So, 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 and, and there's this flinch to want to try to find sameness because it feels safer and, and you don't know how this whole thing holds together. And I started thinking about scripture when it says it's Christ that holds all things together and then it doesn't say how. You're just supposed to know that he does. And then submit into that reality of it. It's okay if it feels uncomfortable at times. He's holding all things together. It's okay if I don't get it at times. He's holding all things together. We got to know this. And when we don't feel it, I stand on that reality. He's holding all things together. And he doesn't stop right here, right now. I... I, I I want you to just think of this with me for a minute. I know some of you in this room. I know many of you. And I know for most of you in this room, you would love to sit around and argue about heresies and false teachings. You could spend hours fighting over the Trinity. I'm going to ask something of you because what Wayne just said is, I don't want you to sit. To, if you believe that, G, that the, the Trinity is distinct, equal, and one, in your relationships, are you trying to make everybody like you? Are you trying to strip them of their distinctiveness because it's safer? I like that. It's safer if everybody's like you. Trying to strip them of their uniqueness in a world that's trying to just melt everybody together and make everybody the same. Why are we so afraid of distinctiveness? Because it's, it's not safe. So we would rather take away someone's womanhood or take away someone's manhood or take away someone's something, something distinct about them. Take, take it away, their color. Take it away because if they don't understand me, if, they don't, if they're not like me, if they're not created in my image, I can't unite with them. Or maybe you're trying to not address the pride in your own heart that honestly, if you dug deep and the Spirit could reveal to you, you think you're better than somebody because of the gender you are or the color of your skin or the amount of money you got in your bank account. You've elevated yourself above other people. Oh, I know you say, I'm not racist. I'm not a chauvinist. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm not that. But if you dug deep into your heart, what you would find is pride that's elevated you above others just because you think you've worked yourself into this place. 
What about some of you in this room who maybe you don't think you're better than other people, but you think you're less than other people? And you've bitten into the lie of insecurity that said, I'm less than. Because I'm a woman, because of the color of my skin, because I'm this, I'm less than. And you've lived in insecurity and shame. The gospel frees you from it. But here's the thing I want you to look at today is we're going to take a moment to just do what Scripture tells us to do is to meditate on this because I don't think I can speak for all of you, but I know the Spirit can reveal it to you. There's something in us, and I want you to look at because there are people around you who you have allowed bitterness to eat away at your life. You walk around with a poison of bitterness going through your body. Always sick, all your relationships are broken, and you're wondering, what is it? And you've justified it because you've always been done dirty. So you're just like, everybody does me wrong, so I'm allowed to be bitter. And bitterness is flowing through your veins. You know what the gospel does today? Is it reveals to us that the gospel, because we've been so forgiven, becomes the serum in which comes and heals the bitternesses of our hearts. We can't be bitter. You've got to forgive. And maybe today as you sit in silence, you're going to see some areas you have not forgiven somebody. Or maybe there is unrepentance. Some of you are pridefully sitting here and going, I know I've done something wrong, but I can't tell them because they're wronger than my wrong. So you're arrogantly sitting there refusing to repent because it's going to make you look weak. But today the gospel is going to confront your pride like a wrecking ball and tear down every wall. Here's what Matthew says this, and I want you to remember this because we're going to take time. Matthew says if you're going to come to the altar and you have something against your brother, leave your gift and don't come to the altar. Go settle it before you come to the altar. Once you get it settled, then come and give your gift. Here's what Jesus does. He puts a higher priority on your reconciliation and your relationship than he does on your songs and your giving and all of your religious activity. Some of you are like, I'm doing the religious thing by sitting in this room and you have a bunch of relationships that are unreconciled. Leave the room. Don't take communion. We're going to see, don't, don't, don't take communion and think you're drinking in the blessing. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians says this, many of you come to the Lord's table and you've got divisions amongst you. And Paul says to them, I believe it because some fractions are good. Here's what he said. There are some divisions that are good because here's what they do. They help you recognize who's really a part of the family and who's not a part of the family. You should not be united with people who are not in the kingdom. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here, but if you are in the family and you're walking around with divisions in your heart, he's saying don't come to the table because I'm not talking about if there are ways in which you've been oppressed and ways in which you, I'm not saying walk around in unforgiveness, but I am saying you shouldn't unite yourself with people who are doing, who, who are obviously not surrendering and submitting to Christ. 
But this kind of unity that we experience when we come to the table requires something else, humility. They, here's what they were doing. They would eat meals together. They would run to the table, eat all the food before the poor could have a meal. Only taking care of themselves. They'd get drunk and eat all the food, and then those who did not have much couldn't eat. And he's saying, how could you do this? And matter of fact, with exclamation points, he goes, What? What were they doing? They were valuing themselves and their cravings and their hungers more than the rest in the room. Then he says, this is what communion looks like. And then in verse 27, here's what he says. However, therefore, if you eat bread or drink of the cup in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself before he eats and drinks of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning, the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's what we end up doing with religious ritual. We just run to the table, drink our drink, say the Lord's Prayer, and walk out. Here's what communion tells you to do. Slow down a minute and let the Spirit look into your heart and discern the things that are in there. Don't just run to the table let the Spirit work because I believe some of you in this room, and I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying the Spirit's going to show you. Some of this room may feel an urge like, I got to text that person and say, let's get coffee. We got to talk. Just for accountability's sake. Some of you may need to go and just go, hey, listen. Lord, I've been holding on to bitterness, and I need to. I need to forgive again somebody. Maybe you don't even have to call them. Maybe it's something you need to forgive and just allow the Spirit of God to just cleanse and wash out any end of business. Maybe there's some of you who go, you know what, there's something that I've done wrong and i got to humble myself and forgive. Maybe you need to go do that to somebody in this room. But I will say this. Reconciled relationships are directly connected to your revelation of who God is as a reconciled God who has reconciled us to himself, who is reconciling us as his body together. So we're going to take and slow down a minute. I would like for you to just close your eyes. We're going to turn the lights off. The ushers are going to begin to pass out communion. And then in just a moment, in just a few moments, whenever Wayne discerns that the Spirit is a we're going to take communion together, but I would ask that you just sit there and do what the Spirit tells you to do because I think He wants to say things to you. Let me pray for you. Father, come sit with us. Let us slow down and discern what it is you're wanting us to do. God, make us one. Let us walk in our uniqueness. and Let us see the value in all that those are differences. But God, I pray if there is any greed or division or if there is any bitterness or covetousness, if there's anything in us that's dividing us, God, would you reveal it now by your spirit? So that as we come to the table, we come drinking deeply of your grace and your mercy. That it would affect every part of who we are. Holy Spirit, begin to speak to your people. Show them the log in their own eyes. Show them things that you're working in their hearts. In Jesus' name, let's sit and think and receive the elements and then we'll partake together.
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.